Hey there, welcome to the What Connects podcast, where we explore human connection with people from Saskatchewan. Today, we're chatting with Tennille Arts about how she went from singing in her backyard to topping the country music charts in Nashville. This is a story you want to hear, so let's jump into it. All right, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the What Connects podcast, powered by Connexus Credit Union. Today, we have such an exciting and very special episode for you. I cannot wait for you to hear this one. We are featuring a country music star who's making history in Nashville. She just did something that no Canadian has done since 2007. Tennille Arts went from singing Shania Twain in her backyard in Weyburn and posting Taylor Swift covers on YouTube to reaching number one on the country music charts. She just performed at the Grand Ole Opry and she just finished a tour with Lady A. So cool. She's truly on a roll right now and she's here on the podcast. Tennille is going to break down this wild journey she's on and tell us about the highs and lows that comes with establishing yourself in this very competitive country music industry, how musicians make money, how her appearances performing on The Bachelor, they catapulted her career, the pressures of being in the public eye and the impact it's had on her mental health. And she's going to tell us a little bit about how she's continually defying the odds to gain momentum and solidify herself as one of country music's top new artists. Tennille's story about going all in on her dream and the way that she's had to hustle to make it happen. It's not only inspiring, but Tennille gives us this transparent look into the realities of the journey in an industry that a lot of us can only really dream about. In this conversation, you really hear about the highs and the lows, and I'll tell you what I mean by that. I really appreciated just how vulnerable and authentic Tennille was in this interview. She opens up about a number of different things, including navigating anxiety and panic attacks while her career is taken off. If you weren't already rooting for Tennille here, I promise you that after this conversation, you definitely will be. Tennille is joining us remotely from Nashville, so let's get the conversation started. What connects us to Tennille? Let's find out. Tennille Arts, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me. What's uh, the day look like so far in Nashville? Oh, it's it's been a day. Just running around, you know, when I'm in Nashville, I like to kind of knock out all of my errands in like one day. So I've just been all over the place, but it's great. <laughs> awesome. Is it like, what's the weather like? It just snowed here in Saskatchewan. Is Are you missing that up in, in Tennessee? I mean, definitely. Like I'm wearing a sweater right now and it is not sweater weather, <laughs> sweater weather in Nashville right now. It's like, so I, I'm st- in Fahrenheit, but it's like 72 degrees out right now, which is like, really nice. Right. So, um, I, yeah, I definitely miss, I wish it would get a little cooler here because it's like, you want to break out all of your fall wear, but you can't because it's so hot. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Fall weather is good yeah. for, for like fall fashion, all that sort of stuff. But the moment <laughs> snow hits this ground, I am like, I need to find warmer climate. Yeah. Um, so before we jump in, before we do our interviews, I like to try to dig up a little bit of dirt or some fun facts about our guests. So we have a mutual friend. So I was reaching out to them and saying, Give me something on Tennille. I need to I need to bring something up to her. And this is the biggest dirt that I could find on you. Your favorite movie growing up was from Justin to Kelly. Is that correct? Yes. You're nodding. That is a very true. Um, I was obsessed with Kelly Clarkson sure. and American Idol. Um, and like, I don't know of anybody else that has like even seen this movie, but I... <laughs> was obsessed with it like 
when I say I probably watched it like five times a week, like I'm not joking. Totally. There was a time there where I like knew every word. It's yeah, a little embarrassing. <laughs> okay, so I'm also a Kelly Clarkson stan. We will all re- all remember the American Idol win. But yep. did you know that she didn't want to win American Idol because that was written into her contract that if you win, you have to do the movie. So she wanted to get second place, so she didn't have to do it, and it showed up in the movie. It's, you could tell she did not even want to be in it. Oh, I know. Well, what's funny is yeah, it's like her and Justin. So I wonder if they would have like tried to get her in there anyway. I don't know, yeah. but um, I loved it. For so sure. yeah, <laughs> 8% on Rotten Tomatoes from Justin to Kelly. That doesn't surprise me actually. Yeah, for sure. All right. So um, let's jump into it. Give me a little bit of a quick introduction. Who is Tennille Arts? Give me some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. All right. Um, well, I'm from Weyburn, Saskatchewan and Uh, I grew up singing, playing piano, guitar, um, started songwriting at a really young age, just like always making up music. And so I think that I knew when I was eight years old that I was going to do this for a career, which is very young to have (laughs) aspirations like that. Um, But I pretty much immediately just started going to um, singing competitions and trying to get involved in the music industry and um, made my first trip to Nashville when I was 15. And uh, I was actually signed in a duo here for a little while oh, yeah. um, while I was in high school, which was really difficult because I was gone a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it all kind of led me to this point. And when all my friends graduated, I and we all graduated from um high school. I didn't go to college. I went straight to Nashville because this was in a way my college. So I wanted to learn, um, you know, about the music industry. And I thought the best way to do that would be to like be immersed in it. So um, that's kind of the short version of of my story. Awesome. And we'll dive into that a little bit deeper. But I heard that a neighbor overhearing you singing as a kid in the backyard really helped to spark some of your interest in learning and performing country music. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so I talk about them a lot. Um, Ken and Donna Larson were my, um, neighbors in Weyburn and they actually were still living there up until like a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I was little, I was always singing everywhere, like annoying the heck out of everybody in my family. Um, so sometimes singing outside was what I would do so that I wouldn't annoy people so much. Um, but turns out my neighbors could hear me. And, uh, so yeah, my, Neighbor heard me singing. I think it was a Shania Twain song, if I remember Classic, correctly. Yep. Yeah. Um, she heard me singing and she actually came over and, and told my mom that she thought I had a really great voice and asked if I was going to do anything with it. And, you know, that kind of sparked my mom, my mom's interest in it. And, you know, she asked me if I wanted to go in voice lessons. And I was like, yes. And so, yeah, when I was eight years old, that's when it kind of all was just like, okay, this is a real thing. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So yeah, thanks to that neighbor um, telling my mom that she thought I had a good voice, you know, because typically, you know, if your parents are the only ones that think you have a good voice, that's probably not a good (laughs) indication. Thank you, Donna Larson. That's your Clive Davis, Whitney Houston moment right there. That's (laughs) awesome. So what came next? So you started going into voice, like voice lessons, you started like performing at talent shows or things like that. What did that look like? Yeah, I mean, for a long time, it was mostly um, classical singing. Mm-hmm. I, I trained classically for about 10 years. Um, so it was a lot of that. But then, you know, 
age 11, 12, I started doing more. I was also a dancer. So I started doing more of like the musical theater stuff, got into that. And then also just loving country music and, um, you know, being obsessed with it. Taylor Swift came out when I was 14, I think. And that's when I was like, oh, I want to play guitar so I can accompany myself. Um, so that's when I really started performing out and performing some of my own music because I could finally, you know, accompany myself. And, yeah. uh, before that it was just like karaoke tracks that, yeah. <laughs> that I would sing to. Yeah. yeah. But it was like all talent competitions, um, things like that. I just was like every weekend my friends would be hanging out and I would be doing talent oh, yeah. com- competitions. Was that hard? <laughs> It was a little bit. Yeah, I definitely felt like I missed out on some of those things. But at the same time, I was, you know, chasing a career and I True. probably wouldn't be here if I didn't have the discipline to, you know, miss out on some of those things. Like, sure. I remember I didn't know that um, kids hung out on school nights because <laughs> I was like, I actually did not know that Yeah. because I was constantly in music lessons or at dance or whatever. So yeah. you'd come I home was, to watch from Justin to Kelly and you'd go straight to bed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Did you have that? Like, were you watching like Kelly Clarkson on American Idol? Was that like your dream to be up there? Yeah, I actually I think there's pictures of me from, you know, elementary school where I went to school for on career day yeah. with uh, American Idol <laughs> number Aww. on my chest. Like I, I wanted to be on American Idol. I wanted to be Kelly Clarkson. Oh, so. that's awesome. <laughs> um, so what was your first big break? Tell me a little bit about that. I guess my first trip to Nashville happened because I was posting cover videos on YouTube mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, my friends had encouraged me to do that. Yeah. So I started posting them and a video of me playing 15 by Taylor Swift when nice. I was 15 yeah. was found by a manager in Nashville and he asked me to come down and be a part of this duo and all of that. So that was really my first actual taste of Nashville and what that looked like outside of, you know, small town Saskatchewan. Um, and it, it is a lot different than people think. (laughs) So it was a very eye opening experience and parts of it were great. Parts of it were really not good, Mm. but I learned so much. And even though it didn't like lead to anything necessarily at that time, I learned a lot from it. So I think that would probably be my like little first break. What was that feeling like at 15 getting contacted by a record executive to say to come down to to Nashville? Like that is your American Idol moment. What was that like at 15 for you? It was really exciting. Honestly, I didn't believe it. Like they called my home phone and like the landline and I had no idea how they found our phone number. And yep. I remember my mom and I were super excited. My dad being protective was like, who are these people? You know, yep. not necessarily wanting to just let my mom and I go to Nashville. True. Um, you know, not having ever met these people. We have no idea who they are, you know. Yep. Um, but it was just a little bit of a leap of faith and uh, Googled <laughs> them and made sure that they were legit people. Sure. And um, yeah, but it was it was definitely terrifying like I remember getting here and just being like oh this is you really feel very very small in a city like Nashville I bet hey so you talked about some of the highs and lows that you experienced at 15 in Nashville can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of what that kind of looked like 
I think it was kind of the typical, like, in the movies, what you would think happens. Like, it really was kind of like that. It was very um, all about appearances and, you know, uh, just being really professional and really acting a lot older than your age. And it was tough because you're going through normal teenage things like I totally understand why some like child stars go a little crazy because it it is you're being tossed into a situation where you're a brand and people want to make money off of you and so if you're not careful those people can take advantage of you or not really care as much as they should about your mental health and you know, the fact that you are 15 (laughs) and some of these things, these situations that you're walking into are, you know, way more mature than you are mentally. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a learning experience (laughs) and it's such a competitive environment too, right? Like it's got to happen fast or they'll just move on to the next 15 year old. That's, that's trying to make a career out of it. So what was your duo? Like, where did you have, like, was it like a male counterpart? Was it a female counterpart? What did that look like? It was a female and it was kind of like Maddie and Tay. Two guitars, two girls, vocalists. Yeah, just young and uh, very similar to the Maddie and Tay stuff. But yeah, it was an interesting dynamic. We were also signed by a management company who also had a label. So it it happened very, very fast before I even really knew my duo partner. So it was just a big learning curve for everybody and ultimately didn't work out. Almost like an X factor sort of thing where like, let's put these two together, see if they sink or, or swim. Um, (laughs) so coming back to Weyburn, um, what was going through your mind at that time? Did you want to stay in Nashville? Were you feeling like it's important to finish high school? What was kind of going through your head at that moment? I definitely needed a break after some of the stuff that went down. I I wanted to come home for a little bit, live a normal teenage life. And so it was definitely different. I didn't, I went through so much and I didn't feel like anybody could possibly know what I had just been through and what that life was like. Um, So I felt a a little alienated, but at the same time, I was just trying to immerse myself in the high school experience. So I I actually quit dance and I went into cheerleading for a year. And yeah, it was just a very normal time. I got to finish high school and graduate with all my friends and it awesome. was great. So you talked about feeling kind of alienated. Is that when you come back to like a smaller town, like people are talking about you, both the highs and the lows, did it just feel like kind of like a fish back out of water, even you're in our hometown? Just a little bit. You know, I have incredible friends that were always there for me, but there was no way to really explain to them what it was like. And nobody had been through an experience like that. So it was just, yeah, tough to... I guess, process when nobody else has been through that. So, yeah, yeah. makes sense. So you graduate high school, you, you felt like it was time to go back to Nashville. What was that decision like for you to make? So I was still going back and forth quite a bit, still writing. And, um, I knew that I wanted to, my best bet to get a visa and actually move to Nashville uh, was to try to get a publishing deal okay. to write songs for a living. Um, so I 
stayed in Weyburn for a couple of years and saved up after high school and kept going back and forth, kept writing songs. And finally, a, a publisher signed me when I was uh, 21. Right. So that was, you know, my real opportunity to move to Nashville, get my visa and really fully be immersed in the music industry for the first time. And I'm so I wanted it to happen so much sooner, but I'm so glad that it happened when I was 21 because, you know, here you can't even go to the bars and play or anything right. until you're 21. So I it all kind of worked out in a good way because I was booking all of my own writing sessions. So I had to go out and go to writer's rounds and talk to people afterwards, which is very outside of my comfort zone, right. by the way. Like yeah. talking to random people is terrifying to me. And people mm. always think that's funny because I'm a performer. I'm always on stage. I'm always talking to people. But um, to just like introduce myself to a random person was really hard. Right. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of how it all happened. I just saved up and moved down and tried to, you know, get started here. So if you've watched like Nashville or anything, you realize how, and you're kind of alluding to it, how much like songwriting and publishing and things like that is such a big part of the experience about getting discovered and that kind of step in your career step. Was that something that kind of came naturally to you outside of the whole like hustling and having more conversations with people? Or is that like a skill that you really had to acquire and really work on? I mean, songwriting is some days you love it. Some days you hate it. <laughs> like sure. if it, if you're having a great writing session, you completely forget about all the bad ones. And when you're having a bad one, it's just, there's nothing worse because if you're just not in a creative mood, it can be very draining, like mentally, physically, I, I come home and I'm just like done. Right. Um, so it's something for me that I've really had to try really hard, but also not force myself to, to do when I'm not feeling it. I actually just took like four months off of writing because I was getting into sessions and just not really feeling it. And, yeah. you know, it wastes everybody's time if you're not, you know, totally into it. So yeah. um, it's a tricky thing. And I don't mean to complain about, oh, like I'm writing songs like, <laughs> but no, totally. Yeah. yeah, it's it can be really tough to be creative. Like, because in Nashville, you're not just writing when you feel like writing. It's not yeah. 7 p.m. or night rights or whatever. It's 10 a.m., go somewhere, try to be creative. And yep. that's just sometimes not how it works for me. So, yep. yeah, it took me a minute to get into that. <laughs> and country music is so much, such a heavy emphasis on storytelling, like an emotive, deep story. So you mm -hmm. have to be able to plug in. What's that like to write with somebody that you just met and you're like pouring your heart out to this person and they're like, no, I don't like that. Like, what's that like for you? It used to be awful for me <laughs> like, sure. because like I said before, I'm like a little bit shy and awkward when I'm talking to people for the first time. And um, I had to get past that in the writing room because you only have a certain amount of time. So I found that once I was able to kind of break through and be super vulnerable and share what I'm going through, it's just way easier to write songs because yeah. the people that I'm typically writing with they're writing 10 times more than I am as an artist. So, yeah. um, you know, they just want to hear about your life and they're so good that they can pick up on little things mm -hmm. that are like, oh, that was really interesting what you said about that or I've never heard that before. Or, you know, if you're open, you can typically find something to write about just in your everyday life. So right. 
um, yeah, once I got to that point, writing yeah. became a lot easier. <laughs> totally. So you basically sit down and you just tell them about like life experiences you've had, kind of how you're feeling about them. If it's like a breakup or something like that, they'll just kind of pick up on little things that you're saying and saying like, there's something deeper here. Let's, let's explore it a little bit. Yeah, that's pretty much what they do. And, you know, sometimes I'll come in with ideas or stories from friends or family. It's like you can kind of pull from anything, especially now that I have this incredible fan base. Like I am so connected with them that if they're going through something, I want to write about it because I want them to know that, you know, I'm I'm listening and that I'm here. So, yeah, I get a lot of inspiration from from different places. That's amazing. So what was that move like from Nashville to to or from Weyburn to Nashville? You said that you kind of go back and forth, but like this was the real deal. Like I was listening to you um, on a different podcast talking about how like your mom and you were like driving back and forth in order to get situated. And then your mom left and it's just you in this big city with nothing but kind of like your dreams to kind of get started. What was that like for you? It was terrifying and very lonely, to be totally yeah. honest. Um, I, yeah, we went back and forth. We drove down one time with her car and kind of got situated. And then I drove down in my car um, with her. And it, you know, I moved into my first apartment ever. I had never lived by myself. So, yeah. you know, I, cause I stayed home um, saving up. So, my mom moved me in and she stayed, I think, for about two weeks and kind of just got everything, you know, we bought all my furniture and got everything set up. Um, and then she went home. <laughs> and yeah. I remember going to the airport and dropping her off. And I've this was the first time in my entire life that I like I felt totally fine. And then we got to the airport and I went to go hug her to say goodbye. And it was like the biggest wave of emotions. I've never cried so fast in my life. Like I was just completely on my own, you know, for the first time. And I went back to my apartment and I sat down on my couch and I was just like, okay, we're really doing this. You know, um, I'm away from my family and my friends. I kind of just got into the mindset of I'm going to do absolutely everything that I can every day to make this time away from my family and friends worth it. Mm -hmm. Um, cause the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, have regrets about being away from my grandparents or, you know, my family, anything like that. I just, I knew I was going to miss out on a lot, but I wanted to make sure that it was worth it. And, uh, so that was my mindset from day one and it's, uh, finally starting to pay off. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, the pressure you must've felt too, like you just spent a couple of years of your life just working for that moment. And then the moment was there and you've had so many people that probably helped you along the way that were believing in you. What did those next couple of months look like? Did you have a manager? Were you like, did you have a roadmap to kind of go off of in order to, to take your first couple of steps or what did that look like? I basically just decided that I was going to write, um, as much as possible. So sometimes I was writing, uh, two times a day, three times a day. It just um, kind of depended on the day, but I wanted to be the first person in the office and I wanted to be the last person to leave. Um, I wanted to go to as many um, writing uh, rounds as I could go to, to hear other people, meet other people. And I would say the first like six months, that's all that I did. And then after that, I started to record, 
my first EP. And that just kind of happened super, super organically. Like I was writing for myself and for other people. And then my uh, publisher said, you know, I think we should record these songs on you. Yeah. So we went into the studio, recorded a bunch of songs. And within the first year, I had my EP ready and released my EP in 2016. And that's when I met my managers. Actually, they came to that showcase and I've been working with them ever since. So that was a very pivotal moment um, for me in Nashville because, you know, going from that in 2016 and now we just uh, started a label together. So it's like, um, it's been a a lot of years of, of working together and it's been awesome. Okay, let's take a quick break. Tennille knew that in order to give her the time that she needs to build momentum to become successful, she needed to spend some time saving money before heading to Nashville. Most people think of investments as long-term considerations, and they aren't as familiar with short-term investment options that can help you reach your savings goals a little quicker. I reached out to Cheryl Moss, a financial advisor for our branch in Lemberg, and asked her to break this down for us. Here's what she said. Absolutely, Mason. I can help with that. So short-term savings are an important part of an overall financial plan. Some might even think of it as emergency savings. So typically, short-term savings is money you'll spend six months to three years out. However, it's best to customize to each situation. And options could include things like savings accounts, term deposits, tax-free savings, and mutual funds. And even within those plans could be a mixture of accessible and non-accessible funds, depending on individual goals. And these options allow you to make your money work for you by developing a savings habit, utilizing the time, and generating a return. And this way, instead of the money sitting in your checking account where it might be tempting to spend on something else, it can be growing and getting you closer to your short-term savings goals a lot quicker. And setting up a pre-authorized credit to match your payroll It's a great way to set it and forget it. And we have some tools for helping members with their planning, including budget and savings calculators, and then following up to check in on progress and adjust where needed. And those are just a few tips and tricks to help you reach your short-term saving goals. Thanks, Cheryl. I highly recommend having a conversation with your financial advisor to help make your dreams a reality even quicker than you imagine. We're just getting started with our conversation with Tennille and we're not even at the best part yet. So let's get back at it. So for anybody that doesn't know, how do you make money in the music industry outside of um, writing for others? What does that look like? So, I mean, for me, when I signed a publishing deal, I get what's called a writer's draw. So you, it's basically a loan every month they pay you um, and it's all recoupable. So you live off of that in the hopes that you have a hit and you can pay them back for all of that. Um, But outside of that, there's a lot of things. I I was just telling somebody this the other day that when you're struggling, you know, you have to pay for everything and everything's super expensive. And then once you actually start to make money, everybody wants to give you free stuff. It's like, I needed that like years ago. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Not not right now. Yeah, Yeah. It's kind of backwards. Uh, but most of it is like endorsements, sponsorships. Um, you know, if you have your merch and your touring, which a lot of, um, labels take percentage of, you know, it, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of things or they, you have to fully recoup before you make that money. So everybody's situation is different. Um, but 
yeah, it's really not off of streaming. <laughs> totally. Uh, you know, you only get pennies on that, but the real money comes from radio. Still yeah. to this day, um, radio is when most artists recoup or actually make money for the first time. Totally. So for like Spotify and different things like that, obviously that's changed how the music business works. You're not selling albums and things like that. Mm -hmm. So you said you get like pennies based off of streams. It's like a, a, a very small amount, right? Yeah, it's it's a very small amount, but I mean, if you're streaming a ton, you know, yeah. um, it adds you're, up. you're probably okay. But yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it definitely. I think it's starting to change, though. There have been a lot of songwriters um, trying to get those laws changed and trying to get that money to go where it's supposed to go. So I think we'll see a shift in that in the near future. Awesome. So. You're writing, um, you're getting these, this kind of blown, this, this writer's draw. Did you have to like take on like a surfing job? Were you busking? Did you have to take on as many like light gigs as you could? What did that look like? There were definitely times where I was scraping by. Um, yeah. You know, I, I really wanted to try very hard to not ask my parents for help. So yeah, I was, um, aside from the writer's draw, you know, I would say I probably had about $200 left a month to um, like pay for drinks at a bar oh gosh, yeah. or like groceries. Like it was, that was it. Um, uh, I was definitely scraping by. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tough start when you're, um, younger and I would do, you know, some random shows here and there for tips or, right. um, sing on a demo for somebody, but I couldn't get a regular job because, um, when you're here on, uh, a visa, a certain type of visa, which I was on, you can't yeah. do any other outside jobs. So I couldn't oh, even really? go get a serving job or yeah, oh. be a bartender or whatever. Yeah, I couldn't do any of that. That's tough. Yeah. That must be really tough as well from knowing that the music industry is so like image focused and brand focused, but at the same time, you only have enough money to eat like craft dinner and all that sort of stuff. Like how was that for you to kind of try to fit in and like buy nice clothes and stuff to present yourself in some way while also just having enough to like scrape by, like you said, $200 to like <laughs> have groceries for the, for the month. Yeah. I mean, I did a lot of, um, thrifting, yeah. <laughs> buy a lot of clothes at Goodwill and things like that. Um, there's a lot of like secondhand clothing stores that I would shop at TJ Maxx here, you know, just anything like that. I was always trying to find deals online and, uh, cause yeah, it, it is tough when you've got to have a bunch of different outfits and, uh, you know, I, I definitely wear the same thing twice. I'm not somebody sure. that won't, um, uh, but it's tough to, to try to have that brand and you want to look cool and all of that, but you're yeah. on a extreme budget. Um, I will say I was skinny though, cause yeah, good. I, I didn't have the, the money to go to buy eat. a lot of food or go out to eat. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I had that going for me at the good. beginning. But. Good. <laughs> awesome. Um, so you're, how do you build traction and momentum in such a competitive industry? Honestly, I've always kind of lived by uh, the idea that uh, nobody makes it the same way twice. Mm. So when you're out there and you're, you know, you cannot follow somebody's exact path. You always have to be doing your own thing. And that's why my managers and I got along so well at the beginning, because we, we still do, <laughs> um, no. but we really just aligned on that whole idea that 
okay, there's a way that people do things in Nashville. There's a way that people do things in LA. There's a way people do things in New York. Um, and we kind of wanted to have a combination of all of, all of those mm. things. Uh, because Nashville feels really, really small when you're here. You think everybody's paying attention to what you're doing. And, um, you know, there's people that are really hot for a minute and then they disappear and, and yeah. all of that. And I didn't want to have that. I didn't want to just be, you know, known in Nashville. I wanted to make sure that we were kind of everywhere, you know, um, Canada, U.S., yeah. Europe. You know, I wanted to make sure that we were appealing to everybody um, so that meant doing things a little bit differently and, you know, looking into TV shows like The Bachelor or, um, you know, sync opportunities or just kind of thinking outside the box and yeah. just doing whatever we wanted because there really is no like clear path to figure yep. it out. <laughs> awesome. And you have to be authentic to what fits like your brand and how you're going to position yourself in that way. So let's talk about The Bachelor. You've made <laughs> three appearances on The Bachelor as a performer. Tell me about your first experience though. That's kind of how you're, you really kickstarted a, a big chunk of your career where you got a lot of awareness. What was that like for you? That was a really, really exciting time for me because I remember it had only really been mentioned like one time to me and um, my manager does such a great job at not getting my hopes up for things okay. um, you know because you just sometimes when they tell you about things and then it doesn't happen it's like a, an emotional roller coaster oh, so yeah um, yeah I was like don't tell me about things until they're like actually happening so I found out at a show one night, um, they surprised me. They gave me a rose and Aww. said, you're going to be on the next um, uh, season of The Bachelor. And that was really, really exciting. And I got to go be a part of this big production. And, you know, I had never even been on TV at that, like, scope yep. before. So it was really exciting, really nerve-wracking. Um, but all in all, a great experience. Uh, made the mistake of not asking where to look like what camera <laughs> and so I definitely was just like staring at this couple making out the whole time and yeah. I had to they do a few takes like it's not sure. just one thing so I had to keep looking where I was looking the first time so I just yeah sang for this couple making out and it was super awkward but yeah it was really great <laughs> yeah so for anybody that doesn't know or watch the bachelor like they go on this one-on-one -on -one date if he like they connect they go and they're like oh there's one more surprise for you and oh there's this brand new concert outside their door it's a private concert for them but it's filled with a bunch of people so were you just kind of on standby waiting to see if she accepted the rose or if he accepted the rose? And like, were you just on standby waiting to see if it was going to work out? And then all of a sudden they come in the door and you start singing. How did that look like? Yeah, actually, we sat there for like I was supposed to be sitting on a stool for the performance and I sat there for probably three hours because oh they were on a helicopter tour. Yeah. And she had already accepted the rose. So we knew that like, okay, they're coming here now. Okay. But they had gotten delayed. So uh, yeah, I was just like sitting there waiting for the cue. Um, <laughs> just, you know, and you have to be quiet. You can't be like loud because they could enter the building anytime, whatever. Yeah. So it was just a hurry up and wait situation. Just True. sat there for forever. <laughs> 
What's funny about that song too is like, that's, I hate this. It's like a breakup song and they are like in love staring at you as you're staring back at them. Like, and they did end up breaking up on the show. It was like almost foreshadowing. What was that like? And I heard you sing like two songs, but they just went with one, right? Yeah. um, So that was the second time that I performed. I played um, a song called, I think it was Mad Crazy Love, which is obviously a love song. And then... So I knew that they were going to ask to um, possibly play two songs, but we kind of knew, okay, this is the love song. Um, But then the producer said, you know, play another song. And I said, well, we have a song coming out, but it's a breakup song. And the producer was like, that's great. Just play that (laughs) anyway. So yeah, they probably had something up their sleeve anyway. Um, So played them their breakup song and yeah, two weeks later she left the show and was saying yeah. i hate this i hate this and it was yeah. the title of the song it was just <laughs> you know that's uh yeah reality tv for you <laughs> true what was that like after that episode drops like so you know this is coming you probably recorded that like a couple months before probably yeah you knew that kind of big exposure was coming what was that time kind of waiting for that to drop like for you was that exciting was that nerve-wracking what did that look like it was really exciting. I, you know, I knew that it looked great and that it was going to come across, you know, well, but those things are always kind of a gamble because sometimes things take off from TV shows like that and sometimes they don't. True. And so we had put so much time and effort and money into it. So I was really just nervous about how it was going to be received and mm-hmm. when it came out and, and, um, the episode aired and it did so well. I was just so excited because people, you know, watching a show about love are now looking up my breakup song and, <laughs> and, um, yeah, all of those stars just kind of aligned and it was really, really special. It was kind of one of those moments, like we talked about before, where it was like a breakthrough. Awesome. And if anybody knows anything about Bachelor Nation, they are like a cult following. They they are passionate about that show. So what was that like to watch the episode, the breakthroughs happening? What did that breakthrough look like? Was that in like streams going up or people following your Facebook and pa- like pages like that? What did that look like? It was kind of all of the above. Honestly, um, the streams were a big thing. Every song that I've played on the show is is still like one of the top streaming songs for me. So it's yep. crazy exposure. You can't really get that anywhere else these days. You know, even the late night TV shows don't have the same viewing that The Bachelor right. um, does. So it it was huge. And so it was the streaming. It was the followers. It was people at the live show knowing the song. Uh, it was all of those things, you know, all the things mm-hmm. you hope for in a big moment like that. What was that like for you to be like singing this song, but people are also like singing the song back? Did that feel like, oh, it's coming? Like there's something really cool coming down the pipe here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've had that opportunity a few times to, I hate this was, it was almost like a delayed reaction because I hate this came out and you know, people knew the song, but they weren't necessarily like screaming it back to me yet. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when, somebody like that came out and went number one then it was like people I could tell had gone back and looked at 
or mm. listen to the rest of my catalog and they put it together that I was the person that played that song yeah. on The Bachelor. And so now it's like, yeah, I hate this and somebody like that are the two songs that people are just like always screaming back to me. And it's oh, so cool. That gives me chills just thinking about what that's <laughs> like for you. Um, so what comes next for you? So that's your big breakthrough. Do, do, do Were you feeling that pressure like, okay, we have to capitalize on this now? What did that look like? Yeah, we tried to go to country radio with that song. And at the time, we just didn't really have, you know, the team put together that needed to do that. So it was a great opportunity. I was hoping for more at, at radio. But at the same time, I was like, I'm still very new. I'm right. going to keep releasing music. So I ended up putting together an album and uh, releasing that and that, you know, I feel like the more music you have out there, the more people can kind of dive into who you are and, and yeah. learn more about you. And so that was what I did next. I was just like, I want to, I want to tell people who I am and do that through my music. And so, yeah, we just kept doing that, kept releasing music and yeah, one thing led to another. <laughs> awesome. So you, t you mentioned somebody like that. Um, that's another big breakthrough for you. That was a song that reached number one on the media base country music charts. And for anybody that, that doesn't know what that is, that's basically like the country charts, like the radio. Um, number one, first Canadian artist to hit number one since Emerson Drive did it in 2007. There was a bit of a throwback. You got to tell me what that was like for you. It was crazy. When I talk about like emotional roller coaster, that was probably the most insane time in my life because we released the song it went to country radio we had a great start um and then the pandemic hit oh, right. <laughs> so uh it was very different uh way different than i had imagined it going um and so we released the song uh on a label and then we hit the charts so we were at like 49 or something like that and the label closed oh. so um my publisher picks up the pieces gets everybody to continue to work the song which it was just a miracle that that transition even happened and then to take it all the way to number one was insane I mean I don't think people realize how many things we had against us like yeah. I just kept thinking like this is my David and Goliath story this yeah. is us you know, beating the odds, we're independent, all of these things. And um, yeah, I'll never forget. I was sitting on my couch one morning when I got the call that we were um, officially number one. And it was years and years and years of hard work to finally get to that moment. What's that feel like? Do you like break down and cry? Do you like run around the kitchen screaming? Like, what did you do? <laughs> um, yeah, I was jumping on the couch. I was like... Um, you know, super excited. I was definitely, I definitely cried a lot that entire yeah. week. Um, and we were popping champagne. Everybody sends you champagne when something like that happens. Sure. Um, I'm Mimosas, calling, love yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> just, I'm calling friends and family and, um, just celebrating, you know, it was really, I, I got so many flowers. It looked like I had died or something like I, <laughs> <laughs> the amount of flowers that were in our apartment, it was ridiculous. Like, I think my manager alone sent me like a hundred roses or something. It yeah. was wild. So <laughs> what an accomplishment. And also this was like a full female writing team. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time that had ever happened where that reached number one. 
like, what does that mean to you to have like a powerhouse of women making a difference in country music? That part was just the cherry on top. I mean, for real, we were just girls that loved writing songs together. And, and you know, we know what our audience wants to hear and what uh, they want to listen to. So, you know, we could have never planned for it to go that well. We just love writing together. And, um, you know, the all-female team was super special. And then, you know, we also broke a record with, or set the record, I guess, um, with Alex Klein being the first um, solo female producer ever to have a number one song. So mm. there were just a lot of things that went into that. And I think towards the end, we just, we wanted it for ourselves, but we also wanted it for all of the other female writers and producers out there that had never seen that happen before. So mm-hmm. um, it was just a really special experience. Like think of the history in country music and you get to be a trailblazer in so many different ways. Like that is so cool. Do you find that there, when you release music or when you're writing music, do you feel like, did you feel like somebody like that had like, oh, this is, this is potential to be a hit or did that kind of surprise you with the uptick that it was getting? I definitely knew we had something special that day because it actually took two writing sessions to write the song. And Mm. my producer's house actually flooded right after, like when we were about to do our second writing session to finish the song. So we were in her guest bedroom with like a dusty uh, treadmill in the corner and like all these <laughs> things. That, but we just knew that we had something special. And she sent me our demo almost immediately. And I sent it to my manager and I said, I think this is it. I think this oh. is our radio song. And yeah, it's crazy to think how many things have to come together for that to happen. And, you know, it starts with trying to write a good song and trying to be relatable and all of that. So yeah, it's, it's a wild ride. And like, it feels like a one in a million chance, you know? Yeah. Like you can kind of hear that moment when you're hearing a song, you're like, this is a hit, like, this is a really great hit. So it's awesome that it did rise, especially after you said it was like a David Goliath story Mm -hmm. of things you had to overcome. So outside of the pandemic, what other things did you have to overcome in order for that song to be a hit? Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, it was the label stuff. There was a lot going on there. Um, just being an independent artist, you don't have any leverage to uh, say, you know, we can have this mega superstar perform um, mm-hmm. in your town if you play this song. You know, there was none of that. So we just really relied on people uh, listening to our story and radio just grabbed onto that. You know, I some. I think sometimes people like the underdog and mm-hmm. every once in a while they decide to uh, support that. And we got super lucky and um, yeah, it, it's changed my life forever, you know, and that's something that I get to regardless of, you know, hopefully I have more number ones, but regardless of, of what happens in the future, you know, that's something that nobody could take away from me. So it's awesome. Great. <laughs> How did it change your life? The live show is you know, something that I've always loved, but to be able to see people singing your music back to you um, Mm. is just the most special thing. And so that was a big thing. Um, And like I said before, you know, when you're a broke artist, it's like nobody wants to give you free stuff and then (laughs) you have success and everybody wants to support you and like, um, you know, have you represent their brand or all those things. So it just opens up a lot of 
doors, um, you know, financially and just in your life in general. It's it's an insane thing that just one song can do that. It's like a waterfall of yeah. validation for your career as well. So what yeah. was that like for you after working hours and years for this kind of moment to happen, to receive that validation that in such a scary environment when you're not even sure how many years you'll have at, at this to make it happen, that you finally made headway and this is, this is something that's working for you. What was that validation like? It was incredible. You know, I feel like it was a little bit of a sigh of relief, you know, just being like, okay, I did something that mattered. Mm. And, um, also just, you know, throughout this whole process of, of living in Nashville, um, not being there for big moments. And like I said earlier, being trying to make the most of everything that I did in town to make that time away from my family count. And, you know, I think back to, um, you know, my grandpa passed away and I wasn't home. Mm. Um, but I knew that he was proud of me because I got to, you know, shortly after that step out onto the Grand Ole Opry stage, which was something that we always dreamed about as a family. So I knew that, you know, it, it was all worth it. You know, I didn't, I didn't waste any time. I didn't, uh, miss out on, on things with my family for no reason. You know, I was, I was really gone for a reason and I wanted to make it count. (laughs) You've definitely made a count. <laughs> what was that? What's that like for you? Like the FOMO, like the fear of missing out. You are in like you're in the States, you're in Nashville, you're touring around. You kind of said you had a glimpse of that, like growing up when your friends were hanging out on school nights. What's that like for you being a country away? Does that pull on you a little bit? It definitely does, especially now I have a um, a little nephew and I'm obsessed with him. Like I just every day I'm refreshing, like trying to see new videos of him. And, um, it's definitely still tough, but I, you know, no matter where I am in the world, I'm always missing somebody. So I feel like I might as well just embrace it, try to make sure that those people know that they matter and that I'm always here. Even if I'm, you know, thousands of miles away, it's like, I still want to make sure that my family knows that I'm there. And, Also, I feel like I've set a really good boundary now where when I'm home, I'm home. You know, Mm. even if I have a show or two, it's like I specifically try to make time to just be home and put my phone down and really embrace those moments. Love that. No matter where you are in the world, you're always missing somebody. That sounds like a country song right there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so we kind of talked about how this, this thrust of momentum came with somebody like that and it's super exciting. You release it. It's getting so much uptick. The pandemic happens and just kind of stops things and all across the world. How did the, the pandemic impact your career? Well, it was really sad for a little while because (laughs) I, had just gotten to the point where I was playing all of these summer festivals and I, you know, I was on the lineup for all of these things that I had always dreamed about playing. Um, you know, we had tours planned and all of these things that I had looked forward to for a really long time and had hoped to get to. And then, you know, it was like, okay, this show got canceled and now this show got canceled and now they're canceling shows three months out. And, 
my entire world had gone from constantly being on the road and being out there, meeting people, seeing people to sitting in my apartment. And I didn't know what to do with that. Like I hadn't been at home that much since I moved to Nashville. So it was really tough, but I kind of just, I had a pity party for sure. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, A little pity party. And then I decided to start writing and write over Zoom and just see what could happen and ended up writing an entire album. And it was called Love, Heartbreak and Everything in Between. And, mm-hmm. you know, I really just dove into that. And yeah, I gave myself a little bit of grace and decided to just be like, use this time to reset, work towards a new goal. And um yeah, it worked out okay, but it was definitely tough. And I know it was hard for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. um, I'm just, I'm glad that we are getting back to live music. <laughs> Amen. Knock on wood. What kind of fears go through your mind during things like that, especially when you had built momentum? Were you like, did you fear that, like, what happens if this come we come out of it and I'm irrelevant again? Like, what does that feel like? Yeah, it's all of those fears. You just kind of think, okay maybe that was my shot and because of the pandemic now it's not going to happen or um yeah it's it's a lot of those thoughts that go through your mind you don't get to really connect with people but in a way i honestly feel like it made me closer to my fans because i was on live streams all the time (laughs) um constantly letting into them into my life in a way that i had never done before and it also helped me get over the fear of live streams and and what that looked like and just yeah a lot of good came out of it but it was definitely not not ideal and very scary and you know some people's careers took off during that time and some people you know it was really really tough for them or maybe they lost their record deal or whatever it is you know there's just so much happened and it was way longer than anybody thought it was ever going to be (laughs) oh my gosh I remember thinking like okay so three weeks and we'll get a vaccine and (laughs) and we'll be good to go what does that look like so um what I totally agree to it it gave a really good opportunity to like acquaint yourself and celebrities with their fans in a way where you could see their bookshelf behind them when they're playing and you (laughs) get to see like the human side of them what's that like for you to be in the public eye when you have eyes on you from people you don't even know who are like deeply touched by your music or they're critical about your music. Has your self-esteem or confidence been impacted by it whatsoever? I think my confidence is honestly higher than it's ever been. I just feel like no matter what I have this, like I almost picture a little army of my um, fans behind me and Anytime I've had negativity on social media, which honestly, negativity is a good thing. Mm. (laughs) You know, you want people to be talking about you. Um, But I've never really had to deal with it because my fans will just come at those people and be like, like they they come to my defense and I don't even have to respond, you know. So I just feel really lucky to have them and I get to go out on stage and you know, no matter what, I know that there's going to be at least one fan there that like this show means the world to them. And so, yeah, it's, it's so awesome. And even when it's smaller shows or whatever, it's just, I know that 
if they're there and they're singing those songs back to me, it's, it just validates everything, you know, that, that I've Mm -hmm. ever done. What about from a mental health side with like, to kind of talk about the roller coaster you're constantly on, like you might release something and like one eye you have on the analytics to see if it's performing. And then this also is your career, right? You, you're putting groceries on the table results and people listening to this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And you don't really have control over that. Then you have media and things like that. Does your mental health kind of go through some peaks and valleys throughout the, the journey as well? Absolutely. Um, you know, I say that my confidence is high, but I also have severe anxiety. And mm. um, the last year and a half with a lot of things on the on the business side that have been happening, um, you know, everything's great now, but it was really, really tough for a minute as we were trying to transition to um, this new label that we created. So I, you know, I suffer from panic attacks and they're very random. They can happen at any time. I don't know Mm. what the triggers are. So it's very tough to be in super public situations when, you know, that kind of thing can happen. So, um, yeah, I've, I've definitely tried to, um, take care of myself a little bit more. Um, I went to therapy for the first time and really got to talk through some industry things, which is weird because, you know, you typically wouldn't get that anywhere else, but here in Nashville, it's like a real thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I have to take care of myself. And, um, another thing that has helped me is sharing with my fans that I suffer from anxiety and, um, panic attacks because, you know, they go through that stuff too. And, you know, just because you might be in the public eye, you're not immune to any of that, you know? Of course. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. What kind of things trigger that for you that that spike in anxiety or those panic attacks Uh, honestly it can be anything I used to get them when I was doing live streams or when I was on live television which was not fun (laughs) Um, I've had that happen before Um, but yeah most of the time it's it's high stress high anxiety um, thinking too much about what other people think about me you know if I really one thing that my therapist really helped me with was, you know, looking out in the crowd and kind of taking myself out of it a little bit and looking at these fans that are so excited to be there and singing words back to me and just kind of take it off of myself. You know, I, I used to think that everybody was coming to a show to judge me and it's like, in reality, they're not, they are not there to judge you. Um, majority of the people are there because they love you. So, um, it's just, it's all a mental thing and just trying to be in the moment, I guess a little bit more has helped me a lot. It's totally understandable, right? Like that's a very human thing to think about what happens when you're on like a live TV show or something like that. And you're, you start to feel those like does that, what do you do in that situation? I mean, everything in me wants to run away. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I definitely have found that, you know, focusing on other things, focusing on other people, what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to achieve by being there, um, you know, and really just, um, I think about this Bible quote that's be still and know that I'm God. And there's so much behind that. Um, that really, you know, just to me calms my brain a little bit because it's out of my control and I just need to, um, 
do what I was put on this earth to do. So yeah. And be present. I love that. So let's talk about something you kind of mentioned it before, but you made your debut at the Grand Ole Opry, which is like a big deal. What was that like? That was, again, one of those moments where I just felt like I had um, worked hard enough. You know, like I there's not many things along the way that make you feel like that. And so Mm. the Grand Ole Opry performance was so special because my entire family flew down and they were all here to be a part of it. And just getting to look out into the crowd and see a dream that you know, even though it's my dream, my parents have sacrificed so much. My siblings have sacrificed so much to, um, you know, when my mom was away, my dad was, you know, taking over and, um, my siblings, you know, didn't have their mom there to drive them to events or whatever. So it was really a family dream, you know? And so to, to get to stand on that stage and, um, have that moment was so special. And then uh, my grandpa had already passed, but I actually had my drummer wear one of his bolo ties. So I felt like he was there. Oh, that's (laughs) Um, great. And, you know, my grandma was at home listening on her radio. Like she listens to other, you know, people that have played at the Grand Ole Opry. So it was just this full circle moment of, okay, this was worth it. 100%. That is like the most sacred venue in country music. And people are listening to you on that stage. Like that is pretty special. You were also touring with Lady A recently. Give me a glimpse into what life on the, on tour kind of looks like and what that experience was like for you. It was a great experience. Like when I think about the people that I, you know, could have been out on tour with for the first big tour, they were just so awesome because they were very family focused and, Mm -hmm you know, they, everybody on that tour knew, knew how to have a good time, but they also were so just professional and it was so great to learn from them and to get to spend some time with Hillary, who, you know, she had twins when she was touring and she told me how she kind of made that work. And, you know, if I ever have kids someday, it's just like, that is such an inspirational thing to see, okay, she could do it, you know? So I would hope that I could. And, uh, Yeah, I I loved every minute of that tour and I just, I got to be exposed to all of their incredible fans and every night the meet and greet would be bigger and bigger and it was just, yeah, it was an awesome tour. Is that what you expected touring to look like or was there moments where you're like, oh, I wasn't expecting this? I mean, some artists feel like it's really hard to be away or like to be on the road, but I absolutely love it. I sleep way better on the bus than I do at home. Uh, You're like rock to sleep. So I loved every minute of it and it was better than I could have ever dreamed of. Love that. Well, more to come for sure. (laughs) You were also nominated for an Academy of Country Music Award for New Female Artist uh, in your 2021. What was that like for your first red carpet experience? It was incredible. I, uh, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better experience when it came to my first big carpet, first big nomination. It was, you know, just, you are made to feel so important and, uh, it was just a lot of fun. Awesome. So let's tie this all together. You've, you've recently signed with a brand new label. We kind of talked about, and you're the flagship artist for Dreamcatcher artists. 
and um, a group of people that you've worked with for a while. Tell me a little bit about this. So this is really special because I've always dreamed of being not only, you know, an artist on a label, but having a say creatively and all of that. So um, my managers started this label and they brought me in, you know, and I get to be a big part of that. You know, if we sign another artist, I get to be a part of that. And they also bought all of my music back. So I have a part ownership in my music. So cool. So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which has always been a dream of mine. I remember coming to Nashville and being like, wait a minute, I don't own my music. That's insane. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. uh, we're hopeful that this is going to be maybe a standard in the, in the future to have artists own their music, have them have creative control, all of those things. So I hope we can um, turn it into a great home for artists in the future. Love that. And I think a lot of people have learned just what that means with like Taylor Swift and all that sort of stuff and the importance of owning your own music. Mm -hmm. And also it's your music. You wrote it. Like it, it makes sense for you to have it. Yeah. So that totally makes sense. What's it like for you to now have your sister by your side um, on tour and, and, and with you as you're going through this amazing adventure? I love it. I We've always kind of dreamed of doing something together. And so when the opportunity came up, I was just so grateful that she was open to it and wanted to be a part of the team. Uh, you know, I was like, I've been bossing you around your whole life. You might as well get paid for it. <laughs> you know? Right, totally. Yeah. Um, but also just to have more family out on the road. A lot of, um, I know Katy Perry has her sister out with her. Casey Musgraves has her sister out with her. And it's just mm -hmm. this this great thing that um, kind of keeps you grounded and, and makes you remember where you come from. And, um, you know, you've always got that one person on your side because the industry can be tough. But if you have you know, that one person that understands exactly what you're going through. It's just a lot easier. So I'm so grateful and I'm usually the only girl on the road. So now I have <laughs> her, she can help me zip things up instead of me like asking amazing. one of the boys being like, oh, can somebody help me? <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I think in an industry that's so competitive and there's so much uncertainty, just to have somebody that understands you in a deeper level, but also like won't judge you when you just need to like vent for a little bit or you mm. just have full complete trust in them. That must be such a game changer. Yeah. Um, Billboard just included you on a list of potential best new artist nominees for the 2023 Grammys. What's that like to have such prestigious media outlets featuring you or talking about you? I mean, that's just insane. Those are the things that you <laughs> dream about as a kid. And I mean, even if I don't get nominated, it's like, okay, somebody thought that maybe I was like possibly an option for that, you yeah. know? So it's, it's awesome. And, um, you know, that's definitely a big goal of mine. I have my list of goals and it's to be nominated for a Grammy and then, you know, obviously to try to win one. So someday. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever like think back to that, like little eight year old girl in the backyard singing Shania Twain and like, you just wish you could tell her like what's to come. Do you ever reflect back on that? Yeah. Sometimes I think about that and I'm like, if I told her everything, would she not want to do it? You know, because yeah. there are so many hard, hard moments, but at the same time, it's like when you get to the good part, it really does make everything worth it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I think little eight-year-old Sneil would be proud of the things that we've gone through and um, just who I am today. I, I just, um, I hope I never let the music industry get to me too much. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
what was her name? Donna Larson, your neighbor. Mm -hmm. Do you ever talk to her anymore? Yeah, actually, um, they came to, I did a show in uh, Saskatoon, I think. Oh, there's lightning. Um, <laughs> a show in, in Saskatoon and they came out and it was so great to see them. Uh, anytime I can, I like to give them a shout out because they're so awesome. <laughs> This is just like if anybody needs a sign to be a Donna Larson in somebody's life, like if you hear something and you believe in them, give it a shot. Like you never know how that could change the trajectory of somebody's life. Absolutely. Um, what, I know you just released a new single, Jealous of Myself, but what else is coming up for you? Lots of new music. I've uh, gotten back into writing again and I have a lot to talk about <laughs> yeah. after the last um, year and a half. So people are going to get to kind of see a glimpse into uh, some of that and what, what it's been like for me over the last little while. And also, you know, highs and lows always, I just try to write about all of it. So uh, going to get back into the studio, I think in January. So hopefully some new stuff soon. <laughs> oh, can't wait for that. A um, couple of more questions before we jump into some speed round questions. Um, so looking back on your journey, reflecting back on this awesome adventure you're on, how have your Saskatchewan roots left a footprint on who you are now? I think it really goes back to just country music. You know, it's all about small towns and, and mm. you know, where you come from. And that never really leaves you. So I just, I feel so grateful to have grown up in Weyburn and had so many people be supportive of my career because I don't think I could have done it if I didn't know that I could, you know, come home and have that hometown support. So, um, you know, knowing that my friends and family are still all back there. And when I go home, it's just normal. You know, I, yeah. I just hang out with my friends like I always did before and nobody really looks at you different. So it's good. Yeah. So what have you learned about yourself during this journey? Um, I'm a lot tougher than I thought I was. Mm. <laughs> um, and it's okay to have bad days and to, my boyfriend always laughs at me. Um, but I really do. Like if I have a bad day or, um, you know, just feeling down, I legit have a pity party. Like yeah. it, it's like one night I get to just have a pity party, drink wine yeah. you know, do whatever I want. And then I wake up the next day and I go back at it, you know, because you can have those bad days and you have to like acknowledge those feelings, but you can't like bring it into, you know, the rest of your life. So I just, I'm, I'm proud of the things that I've been able to overcome. And it's definitely just made me stronger. And I, I trust my gut feelings a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it's important to feel those feelings. And especially yes. as a country mu music writer, like that's food for you. Like yeah. that's something that you could like turn into a song someday. Um, we all need those times to drink some wine and put on All Too Well by Taylor Swift and just like kind of feel ourselves at that moment. So that's exactly totally it. understand. <laughs> um, last question for, for you before we jump into some speed round questions. If you could give some advice or a forewarning or just a hint to yourself that just moved to Nashville at 21 you're watching your mom get on the plane like you said you just felt overcome with emotion what would you tell her um just keep going and say yes to everything um there was a time where I just I decided that I was like I'm going to anything somebody asked me to do you know any performance um just go and do it because you never know who you're going to meet or what connections you're going to make 
And so, yeah, I spent a lot of years, obviously now I can't say yes to everything and do everything, but um, I spent a lot of years just being like, okay, I'm going to just do everything that I can, you know, and you might feel a little burnt out (laughs) um, at a point, but you just kind of have to keep going and and know that things are going to work out if you put the work in. You bet. Um, You owe it to yourself to at least try for sure. Yes. So... We're going to hit you with some speed round questions here. These are much more lighter ways (laughs) to get to know you in a little bit a different way. Question number one, outside of your own, what music are you listening to right now? Uh, Taylor Swift album on repeat. (laughs) It's brand new. I'm obsessed. Um, And, you know, I usually, besides country, I'm listening to um, pop. I just like pop playlists like Ariana Grande. um, Mm -hmm. Uh, Haley Steinfeld, lots of people yeah. like that. Love that. What's your real quickly? What's min, your your go to song on Midnight so far? Ooh, for some reason I really love Bigger Than the Whole Sky. I think okay. it's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> love that. Okay. Um, next question: Something Wayburn does better than anyone else? Um, Chinese food, the Club Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good (laughs) every small town in Saskatchewan like you talked about that like army that will support you like every small town has that army that will support their Chinese food as the best in Saskatchewan (laughs) I love that are you sure it's not the all-you-can-eat buffet the KFC buffet I mean that's pretty strong too I think it's like one of the only ones left in the country (laughs) it is yeah (laughs) oh that's funny okay um Something else that I dug up on you from your friends, again, they just want to talk about movies, is that your love for A Walk to Remember. Mm-hmm. Sell me on that as a movie. If somebody has not seen it, why they need to see A Walk to Remember. Okay, Mandy Moore, and um, I'm forgetting the guy's name, but he's really cute, and I was <laughs> obsessed with him growing up. Um, yeah. And there's music in it. Uh, there's a really big twist. All of the romantic scenes are just like, like the whole two places at once scene. If if people watch the movie, (laughs) it is the cutest thing that I've ever seen in my life. He like takes her out on this date and they do everything that she's always wanted to do. And it's, it's the sweetest. (laughs) I love that. Um, favorite reality TV show. Ooh, you know, I don't watch a lot of reality TV, so probably The Bachelor. Do you watch The Bachelor? I, Are you like legally obligated to watch The Bachelor? No, <laughs> no, uh, but I, you know, I keep up every once in a while. I'm not like For a sure. diehard watch it every week type of person, but sometimes yeah. I like the spinoffs even more. Actually, you know, yes, Bachelor in yeah. Paradise. <laughs> I know your your friend group loves The Bachelor and like gets together to watch it. So your group chat probably just goes off about that all the time. Yeah. Um. The most, and this is also something I learned, people like um, our mutual friend is like, she's so normal. Like she's actually like quite normal. So it's hard for me to dig up dirt. What is the most abnormal thing about you? Most abnormal thing. I watch (laughs) The Office every single day. Yeah. Like every day I fall asleep to it. So it's, it's like a weird obsession. I actually think it might be a problem. Like my boyfriend's like, can you watch anything else? I'm like, no, like this is my comfort TV show. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I could probably come up with some other super weird things about me, but, um, yeah, that's probably the weirdest. (laughs) Totally. Do you go to sleep with TV on in the background? Yeah, I have to, I actually have this really embarrassed, my little sister bought me this and, um, it's very embarrassing, but I got tired of wearing, um, like AirPods to sleep. 
So mm-hmm. she got me this face mask that like goes across your face and has headphones <laughs> in it. So I look like a little bug when I sleep because I have these giant things on. <laughs> totally. It makes sense, right? What a functional gift. Yeah. Like there's nothing worse than if you're on a hotel or something or a hospital and you're trying to sleep and your earbud is in your ear and it's uncomfortable. Yep. So great, great gift. <laughs> um, two last questions for you. What makes you feel most nostalgic? Ooh. Um... When I go home and we go out to our family farm, it's like you're mm. transported back to being a kid. Like, I love just walking around out there, riding the golf cart around. Like, I yeah. just, it makes me feel really, really at peace. So I love it. Love that. Right on. Last question for you, Tanil. It's the name of the podcast. What connects us? Music. I think um, mm. it's, you know, people always say it's a universal language um i really feel like you can listen to you know a song that you don't know the words or whatever but it makes you feel a certain way and i think that's so special that's something that is never going to go away there's a reason why the beatles are still the beatles and people still listen to them because it's just it's this thing that we can all agree on (laughs) you know um when the world is crazy it's like you know, the Taylor Swift album comes out and everybody's listening to it constantly. And we all connect with each other over that. And it's just awesome. Totally. It transcends age. It transcends culture. Everyone in the world has music that they, that they love and people can connect with. Great answer. (laughs) Danielle, thank you so much for taking some time. I know things are incredibly busy right now. I feel incredibly grateful that you've taken some time out of your busy schedule to meet with us. What an amazing story you have from Weyburn to Nashville so many different things have happened for you in between some great breaks, some bad breaks, but you're incredibly resilient, incredibly talented and all of Saskatchewan is rooting for you. So thank you so much for taking some time today. Thank you for having me. I really, really enjoyed this and just great chatting with you. So I hope we can get to hang out next time I come home. <laughs> I will meet you at the KFC all you can eat. Buffet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thanks to Thank you. Well, that's it for our chat with Tanil and for this episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks for our last episode of season seven. If you've taken value from this episode, though, please do us a favor. Hit that subscriber follow button, leave a review of the podcast on whatever platform you're listening to us on, share the podcast with a friend or on social media. We'll see you in two weeks. Let's connect then.